Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about how to gain support for workplace policies that promote equity. So, but before we do that, uh, let's just catch up and see how things are going. So, Patricia, uh, how are things going with you today? Things are good with me. I think we should talk about your situation first because you're the one that had some mic drama and all the things before we started yes. recording. <laughs> yes, I know. So I, if I sound a little bit different than I usually do, it's because I am traveling right now for worker being related uh, work. And uh, I forgot or I had a mishap with my mic and uh, headphones coming with me on my trip. So in the airport, I bought... Uh, mic and headphones that are connected and uh, they did not end up working well in the computer so we had to switch to phone and all this kind of stuff so before uh, we like <laughs> are recording this we spent a long time trying to figure out if we could record it and now we are recording it uh, but uh, and hopefully it sounds good but if I sound a little bit fuzzier than normal that is why because I'm not using my normal mic I'm using a random airport microphone and headphones which is so funny and so dedicated that you ended up <laughs> buying this head these headphones i was like katina we'll just record a different day she's like no i've got this i'm gonna take care of it <laughs> well it was like i realized that i forgot them because i went to go take them out of my suitcase because they always the mic always gets picked up in security um so i went to go take them out of my suitcase and I was like, where are they? Where are they? And then I thought I was like losing my mind. I was like, where's this mic? Where's this mic? I know I put it in my suitcase. I know I put it in my suitcase. Where's my headphones? And I was like <laughs> freaking out. And then I realized that they had got left home by accident. And I was like, crud. And then as I was walking to my gate, I passed this like random headphone, like store full of headphones. And so I was just like, wow, a whole store full of headphones. Maybe they also have microphones. And then I went in and like, yeah, that airport store doesn't carry like straight up microphones, but they do carry <laughs> headphones that have microphones. So I was like, well, this is interesting. And it just seemed to be like good timing because I was like trying to figure out what to do. And then this like headphone store appeared to me. So That's anyway, really I um, very much appreciate the man in the headphone store because he told me the headphones to buy, although they didn't work on the computer. So that's one strike against it. But he was basically just like, <laughs> you know, you can bring these back like when you come back to the airport and like no one's going to care. And I was like, cool, I think I'll do that. <laughs> so I'm basically, perfect, I'm basically <laughs> renting these right now for free. I've, <laughs> I've like, I've loaned them with a deposit that I will get back. <laughs> Which I mean, that works. It works. Oh man. It's just so funny that I'm just, again, I'm still impressed by your dedication um in terms of even though i headphones. forgot them which is the primary problem but i tried to fix it i tried to yeah fix it. well i think i think the fixing is the most important part so yeah. yay, good job tried on that and um and we're here and hopefully you sound normal and i mean yeah. to me you sound normal at this moment but yeah well i think our listeners can bear with us for this one episode of that would be good weird microphone drama yes um I, would, I was drama. just thinking though like <laughs> i was just thinking like in the airport store like could you imagine if they had like a wall of microphones like i would be like oh, yeah what kind of business like who would be buying these <laughs> i get up my headphones right it's like oh man I'm at the airport i'm gonna plane for six hours i need some headphones but a microphone like that many, like 
I would have been really shocked if there were microphones because I just yeah. who would buy them besides you in this situation. <laughs> yes, that's true. Although some of these headphones were like $1,200. <gasps> like, Whoa. so like, I just don't know who buys that at an airport. Like who's like wandering yeah. through the airport and is like, well, you know, like I got some time to kill. I might as well just drop 1200 bucks on headphones. Like I can imagine <laughs> being like, oh, I forgot my headphones. Let me buy this like $30 pair or something just so I like have something to use on the plane but I can't imagine like going and being like yeah I'm gonna spend like over a thousand dollars on headphones in this airport so I was very confused about who that buyer is are they just like maybe people who spend a lot of time in airports and like genuinely use that time to do their actual shopping maybe that is really shocking though I agree with you I feel like that's unusual but whatever to each their own That is true, Um, but I am thankful for this microphone store and headphone store. Well, it's not a microphone store. It's a headphone store that includes microphones. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm thankful to them because they allowed us to record today, so that's that's that. Um, But what's going on uh, with you in your life? I know there's, like, some fires going on in California again. Yeah, some just started, I guess, this morning, so not great. Um... I mean, it's fire season. Unfortunately, it happens every year. And the hotter and drier it gets, the more often we get them. And they're pretty brutal and close to homes again. And I haven't kept up today. I've been really busy. But um, we did see the fire from our apartment. We could mm. see the smoke, not the fire. It's not that close. Right. Um, but, but yeah, it's scary. It's not fun. Yeah, it's all, pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. That is Otherwise, though, things are good. Yeah. Nothing, nothing too crazy. I mean, it's been a year since Danny and I got engaged, which is kind of crazy. Like, yeah. we just celebrated that this weekend. And That's fun. It's, it's all, I mean, it's just so fast. Like, we got engaged, got married, and it's been a year, and we've almost been married for six months. So, we did that fast, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Well, you've been together for a while. So, I feel like you were like, we're ready. We're ready to it's time. jump in. <laughs> yes, it's time. I feel like you were like, you don't, you didn't really need like the uh, normal engagement waiting period of like, do we really want to be with this person? Like the extra, it's kind of like people buy themselves some extra dating time. You know what I mean? Figure it out. (laughs) Very true. Very true. We did not need that. So you were ready to dive in. That's awesome. Um, But anyways, tell me about the article. Oh yeah. Okay. Sorry. I I will jump into the article. (laughs) I was getting very distracted by your one year anniversary. Um, so, uh, but I will jump into the article. I can ask you about your anniversary later. Um, so, uh, this article is brand new and it was published in organizational behavior and human decision processes. And it's called history backfires reminders of past injustices against women undermine support for workplace policies, promoting women. And it's by Avona Heidegg and Ann Wilson. And uh, the basic kind of high level takeaway of this article is that across four studies, which they're all sort of similar variations of each other, so I won't get too much into the details of each one, but basically across four different studies, what they found is sort of counterintuitive. Um, You would think that if you're trying to gain support for a policy that would promote equality at work, one way to gain support for that policy would be to remind people of past injustices that that group might have faced in order to paint a picture for why these policies that help uh, move society more towards equality are necessary. 
what they actually find is that those reminders of past injustices make majority group members less likely to support those policies than if you hadn't reminded them of those injustices in the first place. So a little bit of a counterintuitive finding. And I thought it was very interesting. I just read the article the other day and I was like, oh, we got to put this on the podcast. So, um, so yeah, uh, that's kind of the high level takeaway of what we're going to be talking about. Oh man, I'm so curious now because, okay. So, well, I don't even know where to start because I have like a million (laughs) questions about why we think that might be the case. And I have some theories as well. Yeah. Um, so maybe before we jump into like all of my speculation based on like the couple sentences you said, yeah. um, maybe we could dive in a little bit deeper yeah. and, and also connect it to, I mean, we know that everything that has to do with equality and feeling safe and supported at work is obviously tied to well-being and yes. um, job satisfaction, all the good things that we always talk about. So it's yes. critical to have these kinds of policies in place. And I'm so curious. Okay, but just tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a really good point that the reason that we're talking about this issue is because uh, facing discrimination or facing barriers to unlocking your full potential in the workplace is really discouraging, demotivating, and creates less engagement, higher likelihood to turn over, and generally uh, lower career expectations overall if you feel like uh, it doesn't matter what you do, you're not going to make it to the top because of other barriers that are outside of your control. So when you feel like you're facing barriers to success, it's really detrimental to your well-being. Um, and so these policies, um, we've been talking about equality in the workplace now for many, 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 many years. And the thing is that we've been talking about it, but we haven't seen these major changes happening. The way that gender equity, for example, if we look at top management teams, uh, gender demographics of boards, if we look at the number of female CEOs in Fortune 500 companies, while we've been talking about gender equity for quite a while, it doesn't seem like the conversations that we're having are actually moving the needle in a way that's coming out with these really amazing results. In countries that have greater gender equity, they've embraced stronger policies that require people to think more heavily about whether or not they're enacting bias in their strategies. And by doing that, they're also able to uh, basically hold people accountable for saying, not that they're asking people to put people who are unqualified in the position, but they're holding people accountable by saying, look, we know that there are more qualified people out there that don't fit the demographic profile of the people that have been in these positions before. And we're actually holding you accountable to go find those people and give them a fair shot um, at these roles because we know they're out there and you're just not doing your due diligence to find them. So those policies that sort of hold people's feet to the fire to do better in terms of diversity and inclusion have actually made an impact in companies within the U.S., but also in a country context, um, in different country contexts as well. So we know that these policies help to move the needle on things that, um, you know, have traditionally really been problematic. Uh, The issue is that uh, we won't adopt these policies in companies unless there's support for them. Um, And so the primary framework that this article takes a look at the way that people have tried to sell the value of these before is that people have like logically thought, which makes perfect sense. Hey, if I'm going to explain to you why we would need a policy that might be a little bit more aggressive in ensuring that people are considering a more diverse slate of candidates or that people are providing opportunities for individuals that have not been provided in the past. Or um, even even to say, like, look, we're, we know that there are talented women out there, so we're going to say that at least 20% of your board, for example, has to be women. Or we're going to say that half your board has to be women because we know that there are just as many talented women out there as men. So you have to go find those people who are objectively qualified, right? 
um, we know that getting support for those policies is difficult. And so a logical thing that people think is, well, let me just describe why these things are necessary. What are the past things that people have faced that make it more difficult for them to be in these positions over time? And what are some of the perceptions that people might have that hold them back from being able to achieve those positions? And what they are using as their frame in this article is called social identity threat. So to answer your question of what's the mechanism, why would that be true? Um, when you talk about disadvantage that other groups face, the majority group sees that as a frame of, well, they were at a disadvantage because I was at an advantage. And it puts people in a defensive mindset so that then they're actually more reactive to those policies moving forward because they feel like you're saying I had an advantage. I don't like that. So I'm not going to be supportive of something that would give you an advantage or seems to give you an advantage because it seems like you're attacking me. So even if it's not framed as an attack and it's just factual, people still read it as an attack because they see it as something that's um, core to their identity that's being threatened. Okay. So you said a lot of things, and I think that they're all really interesting. So let's break it down a little bit. Yeah. Um, okay. So what I'm understanding is that there's policies, and I think California just passed some policy about boards recently. Yes. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I was like, I was like, I know that there's something. So we're talking about policies with, you know, obviously like the one example I gave you was at the state level, but mm-hmm. we're really talking about policies within a company. So. Mm-hmm. As a company, I'm deciding that I want to set some sort of policy to help make the playing field for disadvantaged groups a little more even. So I might do something like we want to make sure we're promoting an equal number of women as men into Mm -hmm. leadership positions or whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. And the reason that, you know, we need these things is like you said, we know that these groups have been disadvantaged. We understand that... There are qualified people of these minority groups um, that could fit the bill. So let's figure out how we can make sure that people are getting the opportunities, regardless of who they are in terms of gender, race, et cetera. Exactly. So that's Um, the first thing. Yes. Yes. So that's the purpose of these policies is to make sure that everybody's getting a fair shake. And some of the reasons that people have taken on these more aggressive policies that are like half of your board needs to be women is because it doesn't seem like these less aggressive policies have actually done much to change things. So, um, you know, there are so few female CEOs in the Fortune 500. And then when you break it down by women of color, um, there are zero right now women of color CEOs in the Fortune 500. Um, Yeah. So, and uh, the number of women CEOs in the Fortune 500 is less than 10. So it's really intensely not working, whatever we've been doing. Um, And in countries where you see a lot more gender diversity, they actually had to become a little bit more aggressive about their targets. And like, look, if we just make it like a nice to do, but not a needs to do, you're not doing your work to go out and actually find these qualified people. Um, So we're going to sort of force you to go find them if that's not something you're going to do on your own. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Okay, so that's the policy piece. And then we're looking at understanding... Like, so one of the methods to get people to want to adopt a policy like that is to make sure that they support it and make sure they understand it. And one of the ways you do that is explain to them the types of issues people are facing. So it would be saying something like, you know, we know that, I don't know, I'm just making this stuff up, but like, let's just say we know that at our senior 
consultant level, we have about an equal number of men and women, but then at the managing consultant level, we have mostly men. And so we're seeing that there's like a drop off somewhere. Mm -hmm. We're showing statistics and data as to how people are not getting where they need to be. And it's not um, due to performance Mm -hmm. and it's not due to whatever. So we're trying to show them information that there is a bias or there is, whether it's within the company or just generally, Mm -hmm. we're telling people these facts about biases and inequality and that is leading to people in the majority group. So generally when we say majority group, we mean white men. Right? Yes. In this particular um, article, it was just men because they just use gender as their example. Men. So men versus women. Yeah. Okay. So men versus women. So the men then get defensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why they're getting defensive is because they feel threatened in the sense they don't necessarily consciously feel threatened, but they feel like if I got an advantage... I basically I think what it comes down to is I didn't get I don't want to feel like I got an advantage exactly advantage exactly so I'm telling myself I have no advantage right so hearing that I have to give somebody else an advantage well one that's not fair because I supposedly didn't have one right exactly two I don't want to admit that I had one so I'm not gonna want this policy exactly so that's that's exactly right so um when you prime people to think about past injustices it seems like it would be logical that okay this is the way that i'm going to make this argument because if i can convince you that things weren't fair in the past it makes sense that maybe moving forward we would do things differently or there would be a reason to have a policy to correct for that let's say but moving forward from there if you frame it that way basically what ends up happening is the person says well if you're saying that you used to be at a disadvantage the converse of that is that i used to be in an advantage and I don't like the idea of thinking that what I got is because I maybe had something that women didn't have. So I'm going to deny the fact that gender inequality is a thing. And the way that they actually measured why or the mechanism that they used to explain why uh, people's support for gender based um, policies went down after being exposed to this uh, injustice rationale or past injustice rationale is actually because they were less likely then to say that gender discrimination is a problem. So you read the injustice mm-hmm. rationale, you think it's going to increase the fact that people think that gender discrimination is a problem. But in samples of men, it actually it actually made them more likely to deny that gender discrimination is a problem. So, um, yeah, well, yeah. I was going to say, I wonder, I think that's a good theory behind it, the social identity piece, but the threat... But I wonder if that's a direct measure. We can argue about this later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the reason the reason why I'm saying that is I do think that there is something to be said that I think maybe underlying it, there might be some of this going on. We just don't 100% know based on what the results are. And the results are actually what I was thinking is there may also be another thing going on where it's not just I am threatened that because that means I was an advantage, but it could also mean you know, I don't discriminate against these people. Mm-hmm. I don't have these biases. Other, I don't see any of my friends having biases like these. Like they all want women to do well too. Right. So it doesn't actually exist. And it may, maybe there is a, like, I think the theory makes sense that there's a subconscious threat going mm-hmm. on, but we don't a hundred percent know based on what you just said to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the mechanism or the theoretical mechanism is certainly just an explanation for the findings that they're seeing based on past theory. And they didn't directly test the idea of threat, but they did actually across the different studies um, test a couple of different things that explain better what's happening between those links. So people Mm -hmm. are, after they read this injustice condition about that reminds them that there's been this past injustice, 
um, they're more likely to deny that gender discrimination is an issue. But they actually unpacked that further in the article and found that what explains that link between being uh, exposed to this past injustice narrative and denying that gender discrimination is a problem is that your collective self-esteem in your group goes down. So they measured that men actually feel less proud to be men and they feel less, um, mm. they feel uh, less likely to say that they uh, feel that their group has done positive things in society. And through that, then they actually say gender discrimination is not a thing. So it is, they have measured something that shows kind of this reactive mechanism. I feel bad about myself. So now I'm going to sort of lash out by trying to make somebody else feel better, not letting someone else feel better, at least. Um, yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think we need to back up a little bit because I think we're speaking about a lot of research terms that maybe people yeah. don't know. Um, so when you're talking about these narratives, you're talking about all of this stuff. So can we talk about like what that type of study looks like? Sure. So people are reading a scenario, right? Yes. That's the case? Yes. So um, they basically had individuals read a, and I should mention also some of the data came from Canada and some came from the United States. So they found the effects in both country contexts, which I think is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so basically they had people read a scenario that either told them about the past history of gender inequality within that country, or they just read a scenario about the past history of that country um, from an economic perspective. So they were like, um, you know, either it was about gender equality and what women went through in the country, or it was something like, you know, electric lights were invented in this year and most households still used oil lamps for lights until this time. So it was more about like general country progress, but not about equity progress. Um, and after reading the first um, blurb, people were more likely to deny gender, um, more likely to report that they denied that gender discrimination was a thing. And then they were less likely to support policies around equality compared to the control. Um, and in later studies, though, reading that kind of condition with regard to equality made people feel less good about their group, which then led people to deny gender equity, which then led them to be less likely to support the policy. So when you're saying people in this case, you mean men. It makes men less likely to like their group or did women yeah. also not like their group? So they actually did a comparison sample in all the studies of women and men and found that these narratives didn't affect the, the extent to which the policies were supported by women. The effects only held for men. Okay. So if I'm reading a story or a, a scenario that explains to me the in inequality that gender or that women faced in my country, Canada or the U.S., if I'm a man, I'm going to read that and then I'm going to say, oh, I don't think gender discrimination exists anymore. Yes. And I'm also going to say, I don't feel so good about being a man. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but women are fine. Women are the same. They they think they think inequality exists mm -hmm. and their, their amount of confidence or happiness with their group stays the same. Yes, exactly. Yes. So this effect okay. only held in the male samples and not in the female samples. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot to unpack in terms of the method because I would wonder about different types of comparisons. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a whole different, <laughs> that's yeah. a whole different thing. Um, so, but I mean, I think the results are super fascinating. So it's basically, if we want to do a good thing as a company and try to bring up about less discrimination and more equality between our genders. So we want to find 
we want to help women um, do better within our organization, we need to figure out a different way to sell it mm-hmm. so that people want to do it. Yes. And there actually was one more thing that I thought was cool in the study. So in one of the studies, they did something else where they had people read a scenario that didn't just uh, say about past injustice, but also then had information about the progress that we've made towards equality. And when you end with the narrative on we have made some progress, but we're not there yet, the effect goes away. So men, (gasps) yes, so I know, plot twist. So the (laughs) take home message of how you should sell it is actually uh, more practical after taking all the studies together that are in the article, basically saying you can't just say that in the past bad things have happened. You also have to give credence to or recognize the positive things that happened. And they think that maybe that's because uh, people see you as giving, like taking a more comprehensive view or giving credit where credit's due. Like, well, yeah, bad stuff happened in the past, but there's also been some good stuff that have happened. And maybe members of my group had something to do with that. Or maybe in what you were saying mm-hmm. before, like, oh, well, you know, not me or I don't do that or my friends don't do that. So, yeah, like you should also talk about the positive things that have happened. Um, when you add that piece in, the effects don't hold the same way. So... Um, the take home message that they so put cool. out, yeah, that they put out in the article is like, it's not just about pointing out what has been bad. You also have to point out how far things have come and then sort of sell it as, but in order to really take things to the next level as part of this narrative of progress that we've been making since that point, these are the things that need to happen in order to continue growing. Um, instead of just pointing out things have been bad, so we need to do something to, to respond. I think that's fair. I mean, it makes a lot of sense because if I'm feeling threatened that, you know, I had all these advantages and that somehow, you know, it's all bad, it's all negative. Like, like I was saying, I think that sometimes people like to think that they're not discriminating. They don't have bias, even though we all do. But I think that there's a lot of men out there that are well-intentioned and, you know, don't think they have bias and are really trying. And I think when they're presented with a situation where basically like but it's all terrible still they feel threatened by that and I think that's totally fair because it's like well all this stuff that I think I'm doing or we're doing as a group isn't working and it's not doing anything but if you show some of the positives and it's like well yeah like we are all trying we all want this to be better and so it's almost like a comfort and a rally cry that we could do even more versus a we suck let's we have to fix it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that seems to be what works better in getting people on board. So I guess that's, that's really cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that there's like a lot that you can do within an organization. Like I'm just thinking in terms of like companies that I've seen, like you could talk about how, you know, we know that within our organization, like the example I was giving that maybe we're about equal in terms of our consultant level, but our managing consultant level is still not equal. And we see a lot more men, but Hey, you know, we've had, we have two, um, of our C-suite are women and we've just, I don't know, promoted our first female CFO or something like that. And like talking about like the cool things that are happening and that all the stuff that that's going on. And then just saying, but look, like because of this group here, we could still do better. Let's try to even out the, the leadership ranks in the middle management mm-hmm. or whatever. And so highlighting like the success stories within your company, in addition to the areas where we still struggle. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's what they sort of end up recommending 
um, at the end of the article is, um, you know, you need to not just point out where things haven't worked, but you also have to point out, give credit where credit's due kind of thing um, is sort of what they say. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and that uh, starts to create a better basis for dialogue. So if you're trying to sell the value of something um, in your company, it's really important not just to say, well, you know, we don't have women in these leadership positions or we haven't had women in these leadership positions. We never had a female CEO or whatever the case may be, but maybe thinking more about, okay, but what progress have we made? Um, and framing, painting the picture as the next step uh, in order to continue activating this, you know, slow progress that we've been making is this. And we consider this to be important because this is part of our narrative that we've always been a part of is moving towards forward progress. And this is what we see as the next logical step of that narrative, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense because now it's like we've made some wins. We can continue to make wins. It's not like um, a sad story that we have to like start from scratch. It's look at all that we've accomplished and we can continue to accomplish even more. So I like it. Yeah. I think that's a super easy, practical takeaway and not as depressing as it initially sounded. Yeah, yes. It did sound depressing at first. And then as I read it, I was like, oh, this is actually kind of cool. I'm glad that people are doing this. And um, I'm broadly interested in, and I know you are too, like what predicts people's support uh, for various policies. We've talked about it at the national level, like what would make people support a national uh, like work-life balance policy or what would make people support uh, better flexibility uh, policies or what would make people support better parental leave policies or things like that. And it could be the case that uh, this is similar. So at the end of the article, they sort of talk about, you know, while this was just tested in a gender context, they think that it might, the logic might relate um, across different issues that, you know, if you're trying to argue for uh, better parental leave instead of just highlighting, you know, how bad it's been for parents in the past, you might want to also highlight like, but we implemented XYZ policies, which have helped to make things a little bit better. And people have responded positively, positively, and their work life balance has gotten better as a result. Let's keep doing that. This is the next level of what we've already been doing, uh, kind of thing. And it might help people to garner more support, not just in companies, but also potentially at like a national level. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. So let's think about some takeaways for our listeners then. So I think they're pretty obvious because we've kind of talked about it already. So like if you're a leader, if you're someone with some influence that's trying to pass these policies, maybe you're an HR, maybe you're an executive or a manager even that's involved in these kinds of things, then create the narrative we've just described, mm-hmm. right? The fact that here's the problems, but here are some wins. So let's keep making some improvements. Mm-hmm. And then if you're at an individual contributor level, I think that there's the same takeaway can live here, right? Like if you are able to have these conversations saying that I think that we need to make some improvements based on, you know, what I've been seeing with this, or if you want to bring it to HR, bring it to your manager or whatever, you know, potential avenue you have to share your opinion about potentially creating policies, then you can share this insight too and talk about it this way to try to convince leadership to think about taking on um, different policies. Or maybe you see that they're trying to roll out a policy and they're not using this technique. And then you can reach out to whoever's running that new policy or that program and tell them like, hey, I just learned that if you say only the negative, that's actually going to backfire so let's think about how we can talk about some positives too and try to influence the messaging so that they make 
the right moves and actually can make those policies and have them supported and utilized effectively. Yeah, I absolutely think that that's true, that this can translate across leaders and individual contributors, that everybody can learn from this framing, whether you're advocating up or across. But I also think another thing that's good to think about is um, if you are an employee in a company, whether you're a leader or an individual contributor, paying attention to your own reactions to these kinds of policies and what's driving them can also be important. So if someone's talking to you, you know, we can't expect that everyone in your own workplace is going to have read this article and understand, um, you know, how to apply these kinds of findings. So if it is a policy that you actually think would be important if it was framed differently, but you're feeling negatively because you feel some sort of threat or you're feeling like you're having an adverse reaction to it, but you don't really understand why you just don't like it, really be thoughtful about why you're feeling that way and what's driving that effect. Um, to make sure that you're not allowing that self-defensiveness to be informing something that could be helpful for you or your colleagues, um, but you're kind of allowing your emotions to rule the day a little bit. So I think it's also good to be aware that that's an inclination that people might have and to try to um, just be conscious of it and try to fight it if it shows up. Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good point is just being aware. And I think that's what it comes down to with a lot of these things. Like people just aren't aware. Like I mentioned the example of you know, saying that, well, I don't discriminate. I don't have a bias against women, but we all have biases, mm-hmm. like whether they're um, conscious or not. And, you know, women have biases against themselves. Totally. It's not like specific to men only. So I think it's just understanding that we all have these biases and that's okay. Yes. And how can we just address it, right? It's not, you're not a bad person if you have a bias or if you initially react this way and feel like, oh gosh, threatened in some way in the back of your head, that's okay. That's normal. Now, how can you address it? Mm-hmm. You, your initial gut reaction or your initial biases are things that you can manage. So don't feel like you're a horrible person because of them. Just address it. Yep. Absolutely. Completely agree. Yay. Well, thank you so much for sharing this article. It was so, so interesting. I mean, I have like a million more thoughts, but <laughs> I will curtail some of them. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm happy to have shared it. And um, thank you for dealing with all my microphone drama. I hope it still sounds... <laughs> nice and crisp and clear. I hope so. I mean, you've sounded great to me this entire time. Wonderful. So hopefully Wonderful. that's the case. But but mic drama happens. That's true. Life happens. That's true. <laughs> it is what that's it is. That's what we're all about. We're just yeah. rolling with it. Yeah. You roll with it. <laughs> well, we'd love to hear from all of our listeners too. So please reach out. Let us know your thoughts about this topic. We'd love to hear your stories or your insights. You can email us at workerbeing at gmail.com. You can find us on our website, workerbeing.com, and you can contact us on social media as well at workerbeing on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Oh.